All right, let's try that. Good morning once again. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. You know where we're at. Ephesians chapter 2. We're slowly getting through it. Um, a lot of good stuff, I pray, that you've been receiving. And you've been blessed by the book of Ephesians as much as I have. The riches of God, God's riches, what He's given us of His grace. And uh, we are in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to do uh, verses 13 through 18 this morning. Last week we did 11, and I thought we were going to get through 18. But um, uh, there, were, there were a few things that uh, Paul was asking us and calling, out, calling on us to remember. As a matter of fact, he said it twice. He said, therefore, as a matter of fact, if you remember that uh, correctly, in verse 11. Therefore, and I had an old professor in, uh, when I was in, in college, and he always used to tell me, you know, when you see the word therefore, you need to stop and look why it's therefore. Because a lot of times we just jump into portions of Scripture. Like in my, my Bible, verses 11 uh, through the next, next chapter are, are bracketed off. And so it gives the illusion that verses 1 through 10 is totally separated. And you can probably take that part. And we, we looked at it. You know, you're dead in your trespasses in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the earth and, uh, and of the air. And so he's telling us that this is how we used to be. But it is by grace that we've been saved through faith, and this not of ourselves, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. I can't pray myself into heaven. I can't do anything. I can't work myself into heaven. I've asked many people in the past, how uh, have you come to a place in your spiritual life? If you know for certain that if you were to die right now, you'd go to heaven? And a lot of times people say, well, well yeah, I think so. And I says, really? So what is it that's going to get you into heaven? Well, I'm a very good person. You know, I read the Bible. I, I go to church even. I give. And I even serve in one of the committees. And, and I, 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 things that I do. So I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. And we have to remember that it, it, you, you can be a good person. And it's great that you're a good person. But that doesn't give you access to heaven. You, know, you, can, you can go to church every Sunday. But that doesn't give you access to heaven. I can be a pastor. But that doesn't give me access to heaven. Paul makes it clear it is by grace that you're saved through faith in Christ alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is He who saves us. It is He who gives us the faith. It is He that has provided for us the salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say that we are His workmanship. So when Paul says, therefore, he says, go back and look at what I just said. I said, you were dead in your trespasses, and now you've been made alive. And, and you're made alive, and, and, and it is by grace that you're saved. And so he says, therefore, remember... Remember last week, I hope you do. Remember, God's always telling us to remember. Next Sunday, we will partake of the Lord's table to remember and do this in remembrance of Jesus Christ, is what he told his disciples. And it's interesting because uh, Paul is the one that shares with us on how we should do this and, and the, the attitude that we should have and when we do this together. And if you haven't partaken of one of our seders that we do right before Easter, the Palm Sunday before uh, Resurrection Sunday, we, we participated in Seder. Not that we want to be Jewish, only to go through the Passover meal so that we can see how every element of that meal represents and focuses and points to Jesus Christ. And, and it was right in the middle. There, there were four cups that they would have, the cup of redemption, the cup of sanctification, uh, the cup of sanctification, the, the cup of uh, I forget what the second one was, the cup of redemption and then the cup of glory, the last one. And the third cup is where Jesus Christ, the, the cup of uh, redemption, he took it out and he says, this is my blood. And from there he took out the bread. And many times we think that Jesus just arbitrarily took bread and took wine and he says, this is my blood, this is my, this is my body. But what Jesus was doing is he was participating and brought us the whole part of what the Passover meal meant, and, and it symbolized it through the bread and through the cup, through the juice, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you go through the Passover meal, it is just a, such a, a beautiful picture of who Jesus Christ is. And we do the whole thing from beginning to end. We read the Shema. We do some of the, the prayers. We, we kind of pretend to be somewhat Jewish, you know, just for that day, uh, because that is our roots. You know, that's where we come from. And so we, we do that. Because God set His people apart from everyone else. He says, I want you to do this. This is the Passover meal. And just to give you a little bit more history on that, the Israelites were, in, in the, were uh, slaves in Egypt. And they were in bondage uh, to the, the Israelites. And they, they went over, they grew, and they overpopulated the place. And so in order for them to be uh, subdued and made to do what the Egyptians wanted, the pharaohs wanted, what they did is they made them slaves. 
And they're the ones that built a lot of the, the buildings, the pyramids and whatnot that they had back then. But after some time, they grew tired and weary and said, Lord, save us. And Moses came and the 10 plagues. And we go through all of that in the Passover meal. And then finally, he says, this is the last plague. The angel of death will come and he will kill the firstborn of every living thing, except for those that have the blood of the lamb sprinkled over their doorpost. Now, if you remember correctly, the, the whole process was you take a year old lamb without blemish, Make sure it's perfect. You sacrifice it and you eat the whole thing. You take the blood and you pour, you, you sprinkle it with hyssop over your doorpost. So when the angel of death comes, he will pass over your house. And there was to be a symbolic remembrance of what God had done for the Israelites. And they participated in Passover every year. And so out of that meal... And all of it points to Jesus Christ. The bread of affliction, the afikomen, it's a, it's a three-layered uh, bag that they put the afikomen, the matzah, inside of. And the afikomen comes out of the center bag. And what they do is they break it. And the larger piece, what they do is they use it to pass around. That's the piece that they use to pass around. And, uh, and it was another piece that was hidden. They don't know why they hid it, but they hide it. And, and the children are, you know, in, in modern days, the children are given the task of going out to try to find this afikom and the bread of affliction. Find it and, and bring it to me and you will be re, it will, you'll be rewarded. I want to redeem it from you is the whole purpose of this, this game. And it's, it's a very innocent game. It's to teach the children what God had done and how we are to remember what God has done. Because we're so forgetful. I don't know about you. But I can wake up on Monday morning and think, oh, God, you know, I just I have this whole day ahead of me. I've got things that I haven't done, things that I should have done. And and I worry, I stress and I think about, you know, the bills. I think about the economy. I think about all this stuff that's going on in the world. Cargo ships that aren't docking the the flu that seems to be rising, the, the, the vaccinate, all these things that are going on. And then I have to stop and remember. I have to remember I'm not that person anymore. I have to remember Because that's what we do. We tend to stress. We tend to worry. We tend to get all up in arms about all these social issues that are going on in the world today. We need to remember. And so Paul says, remember what you used to be. Remember how at that time you you were in the flesh. You were without Christ. You weren't even a citizen of of God's kingdom. You You didn't have a covenant. You didn't have any hope. And you sure didn't have God in your life. When Jesus talks about not worrying in the Sermon on the Mount. What Jesus says is, don't worry. Be happy. Oh, no, that was Bob Marley. Uh, That's something else. He says, don't worry, for your Father knows what you need. Don't the birds get all the food they want? All they do is just twitter around and take real estate from here to there, and they build their nests and make a mess of my car. Don't they, don't, they, don't, they don't worry about where they're going to get their next meal. Look at the lilies, how beautiful they are. And if any of you have ever driven and, and ridden past uh, the grapevine during the springtime when it's, all the wildflowers are going, you just, people are just lined up right, right as they're going through the grapevine. People are just lined up looking at the flowers, taking pictures and just watching this beauty of a, of a landscape that God created. God says, look at how beautiful they are. And Solomon, in all his glory, the richest king ever, didn't even compare to what God can do. So don't you think God's going to care for you more than a flower that today grows and tomorrow it's cast into the fire? Or to birds that just fall? He cares. He says, don't worry, but seek first the kingdom of God. And then he says, in between there, he says, you know, you know the pagans, they should worry. They must worry because they have no hope. They have no God. They have no covenant. They have no, uh, they have no spiritual life. They have no understanding. They should worry. And so when we, when we look at these verses and Paul says, therefore, remember. And, and then again in verse uh, 12, he says it again. Remember. <laughs> you know, it's like Paul's trying to get this into our head. Remember. And sometimes, as we said last week, we, it's kind of hard for us to look back at the ugly life that we, well, I don't know about you, but that I, I can attest to. And I, I don't want to go back there. But it reminds me of the mire and the muck that Jesus Christ pulled me out of. 
It reminds me, and I remember that because of his grace and his glory, that I'm going to spend eternity with him. And so all these things on this planet mean nothing, are superfluous. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor, you don't understand my life. You don't understand the, the illnesses that I'm going through, the, the, the lives that, that have been lost, that, that have been around me. You don't understand these things that are going on in my, my personal. What do you mean it's not about me? And it's hard to try to get that across to people that are right in the middle of the storm. But remember, remember, Jesus is in that boat with you. And he can say at any time, peace be still to your heart. And your heart can be stilled. And you won't fall to pieces, but you will find God's peace. And and so in, in this whole time that Paul is telling us, remember Remember what, what happened. Remember what took place. Because now, now that you, you don't have these, you weren't there no more. And what he wants to say now from verses 13 through 18 is this. And if you have your Bibles open, I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. From verses 13 and, uh, to verse 18. And he says, But now, and we kind of touched on that last week. That's what you used to be. That's where you used to be. Without hope. Without a covenant. Without any, but now. Love those words. Always remember, but now, when you see that word, but, something great is going to happen. But now, he says, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father." Father in heaven, thank you for that access that we have, that we can boldly come to your throne of grace, that you've given us the ability to come before you for breaking down that wall of hostility. Now, what does all this mean, Lord, for us today? It means that you've made one man, one person. We are one body. We're not various different types of people. We are one. And so, Father, we just thank you for your greatness and your goodness and for the the way that you've made us one. And you've broken down that wall of hostility and just all the great things that we have in store for us. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Part of what we see today in the world that a lot of people stress out about and are just all up in arms about. And I don't know if you've gotten caught up in it. And and I just may uh, ruffle some feathers today. Um, You know. And, and, and if I haven't offended you yet, well, today might be the day. And if not, well, you know, I'm an equal opportunist. I will offend you eventually. So stick around and I will get there. <laughs> However, it, it is a difficult topic to talk about. And it always has been to talk about the, uh, the social justice that we have. And it's called, I know that we, many of you have heard the critical race theory. But you have to understand where critical race theory came from. It comes from what, is, what is, used to be known as the critical social theory. And it's this critical social justice that has been plaguing the world for some time. And it comes from a school of thought that was back in Germany. They call it the School of Frankfurt, the Frankfurt School of Philosophy. And there's all these sociologists and philosophers, including Marx and a lot of these other people, that came up and started to try to figure out a way on how to break down the social structure to make it to be what they want it to be. The problem is, is that a lot of what they do is deconstruction, deconstructing the morals and the mores and, and everything else of the culture. And they deconstruct, but they have nothing to reconstruct. It's always been deconstruction, tearing down, breaking down. And, and, and the whole process, process of this was to continue on in this chaos and this mayhem to be able to take more control of people in, throughout all of the world and, of course, in their Certain areas. Now, now, when I talk about critical social justice, please don't get me wrong. I do believe that there needs to be justice, and we are to fight for the justice of men. But the justice that you and I use is biblical justice. There needs to be a godly biblical justice that, well, like in Jesus' case, when he walked into the temple and they were having a yard sale, uh, you know, and selling all kinds of stuff, a rummage sale through, through the temple courts, and he walked in with the whip and says, What are you guys doing? 
You're turning my father's house into a den of thieves. He knew their heart. He knew that everything was wrong about them and how they were charging more for a lamb that was without blemish and how some of the lambs, well, even though they might have a little bit of a blemish, I can give you a discount on it. And and so they had all these various types of weights and measures. People came in, they were expected to pay the temple tax and the temple tax only, uh, they only received, and this was set up from the beginning from the politicians, excuse me, from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the powers to be. And this is, it has to be in Hebrew money or this Greek money. And people were coming in from all sorts of places. And so they would bring their coinage and take it to the, uh, the, 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 the tax collector or the person that weighed out the monies. And they would exchange it. And sometimes they would charge them a fee, an enormous fee. Where are you from? Oh, it's going to cost you more. Oh, where are you from? Eh, it don't cost you that much. I know you. You know what? Don't worry about fees. And so it was all arbitrary. Jesus walks in and flips the tables. He administered justice. And we should too. There should be some things that we should be just mortified about and just hate the fact that there's this sin in the world. You see, but this hasn't just taken place in the United States. The United States right now is is fighting this social justice, this this, uh, reparations that need to be done. And so when we talk about these things, we have to remember that it didn't begin in the United States. It didn't begin in Europe. This is an age-old problem. And it has happened from the very beginning. Just a bit ago, I mentioned to you that the Hebrews, the Jewish people, they, they would have this supper, this Lord's table is what we call it, or the Passover meal. And this Passover meal, it distinguished them from everybody else. And they were the only ones that would eat this way. They were the only ones that would get rid of the leaven. They were the only ones, all the people that wanted to be a part of that, they would have to proselytize to be a Jew. They would have to go through the motions. But, but even before then, People that traveled the world over when they came into a certain city or a country that they were, they were always looked, out, looked at as outcasts. You can tell who they were by the way they spoke, the languages they carried, the money that they used, the clothes that they wore, and they were always cast out. They were never allowed to draw near, and they were treated differently. A lot of them became slaves, a lot of them became freedmen, a lot of them became workers because they didn't fit in. And and racism is as old as sin. And when I was accused one time of being racist, I says, I, I, yeah, because I'm a sinful person. I I guess I could be racist because it's not the fact that I don't like another group or people. It's the fact that I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinful person. I have my desires and likes. You know, I kind of sometimes look at people a little bit different when they eat with a knife and fork. Uh, when they eat a pizza with a knife and fork, you know, but they look at me kind of different when I when I eat with my hands, uh, you know, tortillas and beans, you know, I mean, uh, it's just the way we grew up eating. And, and so it, it's sometimes it, it manifests itself in such simple manners. But see what Paul had done and what Jesus Christ did. And this is what we're going to go to go into that that first and foremost, number one, Jesus made it possible to encounter God. You see, because the, the one true God, the one true God that was above all things, and this is what the Jewish people did. They proclaimed God. They expressed God. However, the Pharisees, the Sadducees taught their people that they were a chosen individual group, and they were to be holy, set apart. As a matter of fact, that's what Pharisees mean. Pharisees is the set apart from the world. And they were supposed to be set apart, let nothing out there in, in, contaminate you. And they took it to the furthest degree. They had different types of dietary laws. They had different types of ceremonial laws. They had different types of traditions. They had only one God. And they were even called atheists by much of the Greek world. Because the Greeks, they had many gods. What, you only have one God? Come on, man, how do you do that? You know, we have a God for the sun, we have a God for the moon, we have a God for the water, we have, you know, over and over again. The Egyptians, the plagues, every plague attacked one of the Egyptians thought, thought of gods. And every time that they, the God attacked their gods, their wise people got up and they tried to counterattack. And they couldn't counterattack the last one. They couldn't really counterattack any of them. There was a lot of deception that went on with those plagues on their part. But with God, they were real. But it's always been this division. And when the temple was built, 
The temple was built in such a way that, that it, was, it, it kept people at bay. And they weren't allowed to be in. But see, the Jewish people, what they didn't realize, they don't remember, I guess, is that, uh, not I guess, but this is exactly what happened. God had told Abraham, you will be a blessing to all nations. You've got to bless everybody else. Because those that bless you, I will bless. But those that curse you, I will curse. And their responsibility was to be evangelists to the world in in the name of God himself. And they were proselytizing a lot of these Gentiles and they were bringing them in. And so what Paul says, here's, here's, the, here's the point that he's trying to make. But now, he says, in Christ, you who were, once, who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now remember, Paul has been talking to the Gentiles. Paul has been talking to the people. There's Jewish people and the Gentiles. And now they are ecstatic because I can be a part of this community. You know, because I know those other gods, and those, those gods are mean. They're ugly. They, you know, they, they're not really godly. They're more just powerful and vengeful. They just want to destroy my life and destroy everything that I own if I don't commit my whole life to them. But God, an everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So Paul says, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off. The word far off was a key word for the Jewish people. That's what they called the Gentiles. Oh, those guys are far off. Those guys, and, and those that are brought near or near are the, are the Jewish people. See, we're the ones that are near God because he's our God. But those guys, they're far off. And Paul uses that term and he says, those that were far off are now brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when we think about racism, if we were just to hold on to this one verse, if we were just to see that all of us, in Christ Jesus have been included. The unfortunate reality, though, is that because of Christianity and the push of it, a lot of it has gotten a bad name through the Crusades. The Crusades were Christian groups that were going into Jerusalem, conquering the, the Muslims and the, uh, the, Ottoman, Ottoman, the Ottoman Empire owned that whole place and the Turks, and, and they were conquering them and killing them in the name of Christ. And they had all these different crusades. They must have had at least eight, some people say at 12, 12 crusades. And there was one crusade which was they kept failing and they kept failing. And they'd win one, they'd fail another one. And then one of the, one of the pastors or popes at that time says, you know, the reason that we're failing is because we're sinful men. And they were. They'd go from up in their country, up in England, and travel all the way down to the Middle East. And in between, they would rape and rampage and just have a good time in all these towns and just cause all kinds of ruckus. And their whole life was destroyed. Their, their testimony was destroyed because of their actions. And the Pope says, you know, the reason we, we're not winning is because we're sinful people. Let's send in young, innocent people. They, started, they, they called it the Children's Crusade. And they sent children as the age of 8 to 12 to go into these crusades. Unfortunately, a lot of them didn't make it. As a matter of fact, it, most of them didn't make it at all. They got sold or traded in between, along the way. And when you, when you look at this, the, the ugly history of Christianity, the Inquisition, the Inquisition of the, the Spaniards and how they killed all the Jews and they threw them overboard. And in the, in the process of coming from, from Spain to America on some of these, these pilgrimage, these boats, they would take these Jewish people and throw them, because they were trying to get away from the Inquisition, they would take, take them and throw them overboard and take their possessions, all in the name of Christianity. And I don't have to remind you about the slavery and all the things that have happened here in the United States and just, just all in the name of Christianity. So when, when I say this and when Paul says this, ideally, the two, the Jewish people and everyone else, have become one. And we are one. If we can just hold on to this verse. You see, and what's happening in our world today is that our social structure is saying that doesn't work. Well, of course not. We have sinful men that aren't willing to obey God, aren't willing to submit to God's word. We have sinful men that, that want to do what they desire. And what they're doing now is the same thing. Forget the law, forget, forget Christ, forget the Bible. We're going to have justice and we're going to do justice in the name of social justice. And here's the point, here's the thing that's happening right now. Satan knows which strings to pull. He wants to keep us at odds. 
You might think this is a political battle between the left and the right. You might think this is a, 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 national, a nationality battle between that country and this country. But this has been going on for centuries. Well, since the beginning of time, as they got separated. But the Jewish people were supposed to be a testimony to what God could do and how he can bring this group together when you commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, through the blood that was given. And so those that by the blood of Christ have been brought near. When you commit your life to Christ, you're brought into the family. You're brought into the fold. You are one of his sheep and his sheep hear his voice and they know him and he knows you. And when he was talking to the Jewish people about this sheepfold, he says, and, and I want you to know something. There are other sheep that are not from this pen that know my voice. There are other sheep that I've come for. Beloved, that's you and me. That's us. And so when we think about being brought near, in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, it says, For this promise, and, and here Peter is, is Preaching right after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down and he speaks to all the people. And they listened to what they did to Jesus Christ and how the rulers had killed him. And they said, what, what should we do? And he says, repent, repent and change your life. And you can show that change by committing to baptism. And it was for the Jewish people, for those that were Jews and proselytes from various countries. And it was for them to show and to give an indication that they truly had Changed that conviction that the sin that they had committed and they were converted and they repented. It's interesting because as Peter is given this message, this evangelistic message, he's sharing the Old Testament. He's giving them the, the gospel message through the Old Testament. And, and he didn't even have to get up and say, okay, let me do the gospel presentation. Let me just give you an opportunity to raise your hand. No! The group that was there, over 3,000, 3,000 of them got saved. 3,000 of them got up and they did the invitation. What must we do to be saved? I want to be saved. I, I messed up. My sin is ever before me. And Peter said, just repent. Repent and get baptized. When you baptize yourself in the name of a follower, these Jews were now uh, purposely, visibly, and publicly putting themselves aside from Judaism to Christianity. That's why it was important for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, I know that there's a group out there saying that's the only way you got to get baptized. Okay, you got to look at the context. Context, context, context. Always the context. Who was Peter preaching to? Why was, why was it important to get baptized in Jesus' name? Because everybody was following what the Torah had said, what the Pharisees had said. And th this was a separation. And he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, that's us, everyone whom the Lord your God calls to himself. See, the root cause of strife, the root cause of discord, the root cause of antagonism, the root cause of enmity, hate, bitterness, fighting, war, conflict, and every other form of disunity and division is sin. And as long as there's sin in the world, you will have racism. You will have disunity. You will have enmity, fighting, conflict. You'll have all these things. Because that's where it comes from. Sin is the one that keeps us in that heightened state at all times. And the only solution for this division among men, the only solution is the removal of sin. And that won't happen until Jesus Christ returns. See, Jesus, he, he, he's accomplished the task by shedding his blood. And those who trust him in that, that atoning work, those who trust him are freed from sin. And we should not be going back to that anymore. You should not be able to, to look at another person because of their skin color or because of their nationality or because of their language or whatever the case may be. You should not have to look at that. And I, I praise God that it's always been, in, in that sense, in our small little church, very diverse always has been. And, and I praise God for that because that exemplifies the powerful work of Jesus Christ in your lives. Now we've had people that have come and says, eh, you know, I, I don't speak Spanish. Well, good, neither do I. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I don't eat beans. <laughs> That's, we don't do that for the Lord's Supper, really. <laughs> I don't know what you heard. <laughs> 
And, and I've always been just impressed at the fact. And to be honest with you, I don't think I've ever had to mention it or even state it or even say it. And the only reason I bring it up right now is because this is the portion of Scripture that I believe in our day and age is the most important message that needs to get out to the church. And I say this because this critical social justice that has now turned into critical race theory has infiltrated the church. There are churches now that are woke. And the only woke that we went through in the Bible is that, you know, you were dead and now you're awake. You were dead in your trespasses. Now you're woke if that's what you want to use. And, and so the, the whole point of this is saying, you know, we've already, we already have the standard. We already have what we need to be able to break down this hostility, to tear down that wall that divides us. Jesus Christ, he's the one that unites us. And because in Christ, the great foundational barrier of sin has been removed. And when you are genuinely saved, when you are born again, when you have been regenerated and that blood has atoned for your sin, you will do whatever you can to make sure that that barrier of whatever it is, this hostility that you have, is taken care of. We watched one of those... I don't know, Hallmark movies, you know, from the old era, this little girl that grew up being hated by her aunt, parents died, she was orphaned, and, you know, just all her life. And the aunt is dying, and she says, I need to see, uh, I think her name was Jane Eyre, I need to see Jane Eyre, I need to see her, I need to talk to her. And, uh, and they said, well, why do you want to go see her after all she's done to you? This is because she asked for me, and she's dying, so I want to go honor that wish. And she goes, and, and I can't remember the whole scene of what happened, but, you know, the woman wouldn't ask for forgiveness. And uh, she says, well, it's okay. You know, she, says, she grabbed her hand, and the woman just, on her dying bed, just t- took her hand away. And, and the young lady, she says, you know, whether you give it to me or not, I forgive you, regardless of what happened. You know, it's, it's my duty to forgive you. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's difficult for a lot of people to do that. To, to be able to forgive a person that's wronged them, that's talked bad about you, that has maligned you, that has accused you, that has uh, literally beat you, stripped you bare, lashed you with 40 lashes, and, and just put a crown. Of th- Many of us could not do so. But you have, the regenerated believer has the ability and the power of the Holy Spirit to do as Jesus Christ did and say, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Our problem today, beloved, is that we have a world that is following the prince of this world and not the God of the universe. And we are being led subtly, subtly. Now, justice, I believe God has justice. And there's a a formula for justice in the Bible. You know, if somebody wronged you, you need two or three witnesses. Problem today... If somebody does something wrong, they make up all kinds of stories. And, uh, you know, he didn't have a gun. He did have a gun or whatever the case may be. You know, and, and some, of these, some of these things that have happened, I, I understand, weren't as justified as some people would like to believe. But, and some of them were. But the problem still is there is no biblical justice. It's whatever I feel like. And if you don't agree with me, then you're the problem is what happens. And Jesus, not only did he uh, make it possible for us to encounter God, but he also established peace with God and his people. Number two, Jesus established peace with God and his people. You might have to add that to the end of your sentence there. And his people. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Right now for your children, if you have your children here, they're in the, uh, in the fellowship hall. They're being taught about the tabernacle, the tabernacle and all the furnishings and all the utensils and, and everything that's in there, the bronze altar, the, the candles and everything that, that's in the, the tabernacle, the, how the, the, uh, the covering was made. And last week I made the statement that the curtain is nine inches th- lo- uh, wide. Actually, it's nine centimeters wide. It's about a handful. We don't really know, but that's kind of what Josephus, the early historian, would say. It's a hand, hand's breadth. Curtain. Now, that's still a pretty thick curtain. However, this curtain had to have been at least 30 feet high and 30 feet wide because that's the length of the entrance 
into the Holy of Holies. It was a huge curtain. It was said that you couldn't get two horses, tie the curtain together, and rip it apart with two horses. That's how thick and strong this curtain had to be. But see, and, and in the temple, when the temple was built, and in the time of Jesus Christ, there were these, uh, these areas like out here, the, this, the, the quarter uh, that was open air, and, and th- that's where the Gentiles would meet. And it was designed that way so that the Jewish people could reach them, evangelize them. But instead what they did is they said, you cross this barrier any more closer, you're dead. And your blood is on your head because you read this sign and you crossed it regardless. And then there was another barrier. That was the barrier, and that was the, for the women, and that was for the Hebrew men, the priests, and then the Holy of Holies. And there were all these barriers. You remember that when Jesus Christ finally said, uh, Father, forgive them, and then he says, into your hand I commit my spirit. And then he died. The Bible says that the curtain was torn from top to bottom. This 30-foot curtain ripped. Access, what we'll talk about here. And Jesus Christ established that peace. With God, first and foremost, we were at enmity with God. We we were enemies of God, and we were uh, still focusing on our own self. And all of a sudden, now we have the ability to have this peace with God. I don't know about you, but I remember the, the days that all I wanted was peace, some kind of peace in my. And we all want peace, and we think that peace is somewhere out in Serene Island, somewhere, and and uh, no no troubles, no worries, no 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 anything until your cell phone rings and. And then all of a sudden, okay, my peace is gone. And it's only peaceful until I leave that spot. Or it's only peaceful up until that point. This peace that Jesus Christ gives us, this is the shalom peace. This is not the absence of conflict, which it is in a sense. But in, this, in the midst of conflict, you can still have what shalom is. Shalom is the fullness, the steadfastness. Shalom is uh, the, this good health, this uh, just prosperity in a sense of what you have. Shalom is stating that everything be well in your life. It's a blessing to you, and it's also a blessing back to you. It's a blessing to others as they bless you with it. This is what I pray for you, this shalom. And that's how they greet each other. They greet each other by shalom. And this word shalom has always meant more than just the absence of peace. That's what Jesus Christ came to do. And he emphasizes it. Paul emphasizes he himself. He himself, doubly, he is the only peace that this world has. Not the, peace that the, not the peace that the world gives us, but only the peace that comes from him. There is no other source of peace. With the laws and the ordinances and the ceremonies and the sacrifices and all the good deeds that you can do, could not do to make peace between men and God, Jesus did it. And people try to live their life in such a way to have peace with God, there still is no peace in people's lives. They do whatever they can. They go to church. They read their Bible, but they have no peace. They try to do good. They help their beloved, their, their, their loved ones. Years ago, we were given a book to read by Mother Teresa. Actually, she didn't write the book. It was her memoirs. It was the memoirs of Mother, Mother Teresa. And uh, don't know if you ever saw it. And as I read the book, you know, it was, it was an assignment. That's the only reason I read it. And, and as I read the book, and others in the class as well, uh, we, we felt like we were violating her space. Because the very first thing she says, I don't want these memoirs published. And, and uh, her, her superior would say, you got to publish this. you got to let people know. No, no, no. This is just between me and God. I don't want this published. She dies. Guess what? They published it. Made a lot of money off of it. And it was heartbreaking to see the unsettledness within her heart, hoping that she can make it to heaven, making one more call in Calcutta and and desiring to get closer to God. And and just this anguish and this pain, you can read through the pages. I'm thinking, oh my God, what happened? What happened to the grace of God? You you know, what's happening here that, that she did not feel saved? And I understand that we are sinners. I understand that we've come out of this miry pit. And I understand that we're wild, vile, wicked sinners. And Paul says, I'm the chief one, but it is, however, but Christ. Always remember that. Christ, we used to be, now we are. We have this inheritance. We've been adopted. We've been brought in, closer. Those of us that were far out. And it seems like people look for peace and doing things. And, and one, of the, one of the things that came out of that reading was she was really trying to find her peace, which 
He had died on the cross to make that peace possible. But we have these conflicts and, and this tension this throughout the world today. And, and, and James says it really well. He says in James 4, 1 through 3, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Do you not have You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. Because when you ask, James is saying, I know this, you spend it on your own passions. And what causes the fights within us is that I want what I want, you want what you want, and none of us is willing to give up anything. And that's why Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We studied that back in Galatians chapter 2. Jesus Christ came as a baby. He came as a baby himself, and he became our peace. You remember that at at his birth, the angel saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace on whom God's favor falls. The way we sing the song, we think that Jesus Christ came to bring peace to the whole world. No, not to the whole world, just on those on whom his favor falls. Well, wait a minute, but don't we sing it, peace on earth and mercy mild? Yes, we do. But it's only on those on whom his favor falls. As a matter of fact, Jesus promised this. He says, I I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring division. A mother against her daughter, a father against his son, his neighbor against his other neighbor. What Jesus Christ was saying is you will have to make a stand. Eventually, you'll have to make a stand for Christ. And those that do not agree with you are going to be your enemies. They're going to be the ones, our families, when it comes to the time of the persecution, our families are the ones that are going to turn us in. They're the ones that are going to say, those crazy nuts are over there. They're the ones harming the planet. They don't recycle. They're causing the planet to burn. And it'll be our own family. In Jesus Christ, no longer there's a distinction between the Gentile and the Jew and the religion and all that, they, that was around. In fact, in AD 70, the temple was destroyed. And, and so a lot of what they could have done as true Jewish people, they couldn't do anymore. Like, for instance, they couldn't bring sacrifices anymore. So for the last 1900, you know, 2,000 years, since, uh, since the 70 AD, they haven't been able to do this. This is why there's such a hurry to get the temple back up. They want to be able to provide sacrifices unto God. But you know, and, and a lot of Christians are looking for the temple to be rebuilt. And we're looking at it, some people are looking at it with a little bit of a, not, a, not understanding the significance behind the temple being built. The temple has to be built for the Jewish people so that they can offer sacrifices once again. But beloved, our sacrifice has already been offered. Amen? Jesus Christ has already been given on the cross. Amen? He is our perfect sacrifice. Amen? We don't need any more bulls or rams or goats or sheep because we have our perfect sacrifice. See, now as Gentiles in Christ, we're no longer distant as far as this spiritual condition is concerned. I no longer have this deadness. It's gone. The separation from Christ, it's gone. This alienation from, from Jesus Christ and from God is gone. I'm now a citizen. And that being apart from the citizenship is gone. My paganism is gone. My unbelief is gone. My hopelessness is gone. And my godlessness is gone due to this wall of hostility that has been brought down between me and God. But it goes a little bit further. It goes not only between God and also man. And he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility between us, both one and another, and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Because when I'm hostile to God, when I'm at odds with God, I'm at odds with you. And unless Christ is in the center of it, this doesn't work. I said this last week. When this is good, this is good. When my... Vertical is good. My prayer life, my Bible reading is good. My fellowship and my witnessing is on, t- is, is on target. It's on target. But when this is off, my fellowship, everything else is off. Number three, Jesus eliminated every barrier. He abolished the law of condemnation expressed in ordinances. He abolished the law. 
in summary, what he did, all these peculiar laws that the Jewish people had, in order to be able to, to be God's people, he got rid of all the laws. He got rid of the dietary laws. He got rid of, and, and if a person is Jewish, then great. Continue to be Jewish. Follow the dietary laws. But that's not going to save you. But as a Jew, remember, and we talked about this at length in the book of Galatians, that they were trying to get the new believers that didn't know anything about Judaism to be circumcised and follow the customs and everything else, the rituals. And Paul called it another gospel, a different gospel. And he says, if anybody comes with you with that kind of a gospel that you have to do something for it, let them be cursed. Cut them off. And so the law and the commandments, it's, 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 been, it's been removed as far as you and I are concerned. Look at John 13, 34, a new commandment he gave us. I give you, I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. When you come into the fold, when you become a believer, when you come into the family of God, we are to love one another. It's, it's that simple. James chapter 2, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures. What's the royal law? The golden rule is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. James says you're doing well when you do that. Number four, God created one new man. God created one new man. That he might create in himself one new man in place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility that he might create in us. This new is not like another new thing, like an assembly line of cars. There's one car, there's another new car. This new is something totally different. This new is, is something that is completely different than anything else you've ever seen. This is why you and I, we can call ourselves brothers, sisters, and we should. We should call each other brothers and sisters because we are in Christ Jesus. And we should treat each other like we do. Well, not like I do my brothers. Uh, maybe not, not like you do your brothers either. You know? uh, we should treat our beloved brothers as beloved. Genuinely caring for them. Inviting them over to your house. Giving them a ride. Helping them as often as you can. Going out and getting groceries. Doing whatever you can for that person. And, and here's the thing. You cannot know what another person is in need of. Unless you become a part of that family and you congregate regularly. Sunday morning is great. But I want to challenge you. I'd like to challenge you that you pick somebody within the group that you have not. And this has been done to us. And this is awesome. You pick somebody within this group and say, you know what, let's go out and have lunch. If not today, you know, maybe sometime during the week or next Sunday, let's go out and just have a meal and get to know each other. And, and not for the purpose of, you know, what can, you, what can I get or what can I give you, but just to know each other. Because that is how we grow a family. We grow each other by encouraging one another. Paul said in Romans 10, verse 12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, and, and this, that he might reconcile us to God, both to God in one body through the cross, demonstrates not only that the Jew and Gentile are brought together, but that together they are brought to God. They're brought together to one another, but together God says, this is my family. This is my sheep. These are, these are in my sheepfold. Reconciliation to each other is inseparable from reconciliation to God. In order for me to, be, to reconcile with you, Reconcile is this you know, monetary type of, a, of an event, you know, making the payment to be able to say, okay, this is how much it's worth. And when you, when you take aside all your desires and all your wants and just look at the other person more highly than yourself, as Paul says, then we start to reconcile. And the both, you can't have reconciliation with others unless you've been reconciled, reconciled to God. And the death of Christ accomplished that. He killed the hostility between us to reconcile to himself who we are. In, in Colossians chapter 1, he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It's a theme that Paul has 
And so, so how does this work with us? How am I to reconcile with those that um, have appeared to have wronged me, caused an injustice on me, or maybe I on them? And I don't have a whole lot of time to get into Ezekiel chapter 18, but if you get a chance to read Ezekiel chapter 18, I want to encourage you to read it and go through it. Because in Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 1 through 20, God is talking about the people and he's talking about their fathers and what they did and how they they were acting and, and how they went after. Ezekiel says, you hoard after the gods of the country and you sought them out and you lifted up your hands and in high places. And everything you did was for those gods. You forsook the God of your fathers. And And he starts off by saying that the children's teeth, what does it mean for the children's teeth to be set on edge? And basically what what Ezekiel was telling, or God was was speaking to the people through Ezekiel, he's saying, look, there's a saying that, you know, if your dad did something wrong, then you're responsible for it. And your children are responsible for it. The The sins of the generation go from on and on and on. And that happens in a household that does not honor God. When you don't honor God, then more than likely your children aren't going to honor God. And more than likely their children aren't going to honor God. But if you honor God, then more than likely your children are honor God and on and on. And this is what the, the writer, to, what Ezekiel is talking about in Ezekiel chapter 18. But then he goes on to say something very interesting. He says, you know, the sins of the father, I'm going to put them on them. If you sin then you're going to be held responsible for your sin. But you will not be held responsible for the sins of your father. Right now, we are being held responsible for things we never did that had been done years ago to people that didn't exist then, I mean now, for a reparation that apparently somebody else did. And it's, again, I seek justice, but a godly justice. And that's not biblical. We want this equality. And I say we, I mean as a nation. The nation wants an equality. They want what you have to give it to somebody else in order for it to be fair. But again, you have to, if that's the case, and they even say Jesus was a social activist, making sure that everybody had everything in common and they were all in one accord. I don't know how they got in an accord, but anyways... They, they were all together in thought and in possession. And they sold their belongings so that everybody can have them. Which kind of makes you think and wonder, well, what about the parable of the talents? You know, if you want to get biblical, the parable of the talents, Jesus gave one ten, the other one five, the other one one. The one that had ten, he doubled it. Great. Come on into the kingdom of God. The one with five, hey, fantastic. The one that had one, you know what they did to him? If we were to use that social justice that we're talking about right now, they would take it away from the one that had 10 and give him five so everybody can have equal amounts of fives or tens or whatever the case may be. However, what Jesus did is he took that away from him and gave it to the one that had 10. And he called him a wicked, lazy servant. So if you want to really get technical and biblical about this justice that we have to administer, you have to use the entire Bible, not just parts of it. And Ezekiel says, no, you're going to be held responsible. You you have always been held responsible for your sins. You sin, you're responsible for it. You're accountable to God for that. The last thing I want to share with you is that Jesus provided access to God. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The phrase uh, in the text is that he came and he gospeled or he preached, he evangelized. The word is evangelism or evangelio. And he evangelized or he gospeled the evangelistic message of peace. He brought it. Those whom the Lord is pleased are those whom trust in his son. And those who are far off are the Gentiles and those who are near are the Jews. And God, through Jesus Christ, the blood, the cross, through his flesh, have brought them all together. I tell you that this is a timely message. Not because I preach it. It's a timely message because it's God's word. And if more pastors were to preach this in churches throughout the nation, we would come to a point and realize we need to stand strong because there is a force. There is a force that is wrecking the church. 
And God has already provided that reconciliation. God has already brought the two together. And when sinful man gets in the way, well, you see what's happening. We can't make anything right if we're not right with God. See, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He says, I'm going to give you some peace. Not like the world says. See, the world is trying to find this peace that only God can give. And I've said this many times before. People are not searching for God. They're searching for the benefits of God. And one of his benefits is peace. People want this peace. People desire this peace. People fight for it. And Jesus says, I'm going to give it to you, but not like the world gives. You've got to understand that this is a shalom, a completeness, a fullness, a blessing upon you in your life. In John chapter 16, 33, he said this, and it's not in your outlines, but John 16, 33 says this, and if you want to write it down, please do, and go back to it. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Now here's the promise. In the world, you will have tribulations. You will have struggles. You will have troubles. You will have pain. That's a promise. If they did it to my Savior, if they did it to Jesus Christ, if they did it to my friend, how do I think that I'm going to escape this world and not have it done to me? It is beyond us to believe that all I have to do is rub the magic lamp and God gets me out of all my troubles. He gives me everything I need, everything I want, because I demand it. I claimed it. I professed it. And because I claimed it, God has to bend to my will. Because I said so. Again, context, context, context. You'll find a verse that'll say that. But this verse, people overlook, you will have troubles. But here's the beauty behind this promise. But take heart. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Take heart. How can I have heart? How can my heart be so full in the midst of all this struggle? Because God gave me his peace. He gave it to me. That's what he did. I have access through him. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This access, prosagagos, prosagago is a word that was used by a, a herald or a, a, a servant of the king. And this prosagago was a guy that would allow you to come in and speak to the king and give you that access to the king. And he would give you the floor to be able to speak to the king. You couldn't get in to see the king unless the man with the access were, were to give it to you. And through him, Romans 5, 2, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This word, prosagago, is the only word that is used only three times in the New Testament. The one I just quoted to you in Romans 5 and another one in Ephesians chapter 3. We'll go over it again next week. And the one I just read to you right now in our verse today. And this access that is given to us, it's an access that you should not take for granted. We have access because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We have access. And it wasn't like that before. We have so much access now that in the United States, well, I mean, yeah, so, I mean, I'll, when I get a chance, you know, I'll be there for Christmas. I'll be there for Easter. There was this missionary that I heard a long time ago speak about his trip that he went to to this third world country. And as he's preaching and teaching there, he's talking to them about, you know, what they have. They ask him, so what kind of churches do you guys have? Well, you know, and he looked around. He felt kind of bad because they were all sitting on dirt floors. Uh, well, you know, they're, they're just, they're buildings. Yeah, but what kind? Well, you know, are they big? Are they small? Well, some of them are small. Some of them are big. But what do they have in them? Well, do they have, are they dirt? No, no, they don't have dirt floors. They, they have uh, benches. Oh, you got benches. Yeah. What kind of benches? And so they're asking him. They're getting all excited. And, uh, and he's watching these guys. They, they walked for miles 
some two, three hours just to get there. And, and, and he says, man, you know, and what about when it rains? Oh, yeah, well, you know, we just close the windows. And if it gets cold, we turn on the heater. You guys got heaters? They're getting all ex- What about when it gets hot? Well, you know, we have, we, you know, he was just feeling sorry. Just, man, I don't want to keep going on with what we have, especially when you don't have. And then one of them says, oh, pastor, please, please pray for us. Please pray for us that we become like you guys. He says, oh, no, guys, you don't want to become <laughs> like us in the United States. Though we may have buildings, people don't come. If it's too cold, they stay home. If it's too far, they stay next Sunday. If, if, it's, if, if it's too crowded now, we'll come back some other time. You don't want to be like us. I'm going to pray that we become like you. And this access that we have, it's not just on Sunday morning, beloved. This access that we have is daily. Jesus gave his blood for it. And we are to be a body. We are to be a united body. Doesn't matter what side of the fence or what side of the tracks you grew up on. Doesn't matter, you know, how old you are and how young you are. We are a body. We are a family. And we need to continue to, to grow that and to develop that. I think I lost my place. See, Jesus said, I am the door. He's the only door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He says, I'm the door. I shared this with you last week. That the shepherd in the field would find a place to put a little cubby or a little pen type of thing and kind of make a makeshift fence And the door was the shepherd. He would lay across the entrance. And when Jesus is telling the Pharisees this, he's telling them this, again, context. He's telling them this right after they're grilling this guy because he was healed from his blindness. He was blind from birth. And the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned was the thought of the day. This guy must have sinned. Or was it his parents that sinned? His parents sinned, so he's having to pay for this this sin of his parents. Who sinned? Him or his parents? Jesus says, well, nobody sinned. This man has been born blind so that you can see the glory of God. And Jesus spits on the ground, picks up some mud, and rubs it all over this guy's eye. And he says, go wash in the pool of Salium. And he goes and he washes and he comes back seeing. And he says, wow, I can see. The Pharisee says, what do you mean you can see? Hey, weren't you the guy that was sitting out there blind? Yeah, I was blind and now I see. Well, who healed you? Well, I don't know. Some guy they called Jesus, I think. Jesus, he can't be from God. What do you mean he can't be from God? Well, he can't be from God because today is the Sabbath. And you're not supposed to do miracles on the Sabbath. (laughs) Well, you take that up with him. (laughs) You're a sinner. He's a sinner. How can he be a sinner if he made me see and in the whole process of this jesus is talking to the the pharisees and he says you know it's kind of like us saying you know he's got to be he can't be from god because well he doesn't preach out of the right bible or he doesn't go to church where i go to church or he doesn't wear the suits that i wear or any other hindrance that you might put on a person and after jesus describes to them what happened and how it took place they called his parents in is this your son yeah that's my son he said how is he i don't know you ask him because they were afraid that they were going to get kicked out of the synagogue, out of the temple. Ask him. And then finally Jesus says, you know, I want you guys to know something. He tells everybody, and the Pharisees included. I have a sheep. I have sheep that are from this fold. I also have other sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the shepherd that lays down his life. I am, I am, I am, he says. And he says, and, and when he committed himself to saying, I am, ego, imai, the Pharisees got upset. And they wanted to kill him even then. You see, beloved, Jesus Christ gave his life. And he protects you because you're part of his fold. He's the door. Any danger comes along, it has to go through him first. And because he has you in the fold, because he has you as his sheep, you cannot be let loose. And if you get loose, guess what? I have another parable to tell you. That wasn't a parable. I have another story to tell you, which I think I'll have to wait till next week. But the lost sheep, he goes out and looks for it. 
the one sheep that got away. That's, that's for another message. Let me ask you to stand. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus provided access to God. Praise God. Can somebody say amen? amen? Father in heaven, we thank you once again for this rich text that Paul had put out for us, Lord. If we were just to grasp this as a nation, as a people, as a church, in unison, Lord, we would, we would be so far ahead. But in this perverse world, in the, in the voices that are out there that sheep are following, as Jesus explained in this parable of the, the good shepherd in the gate, he expressed that there are voices that are following, uh, that these sheep are following, Lord, but we know your voice. We hear your voice. And you know your sheep. And we pray, Lord, that you just continue to speak to us, that we see it. And if, if the world were just to see the, the richness of your grace and see how abundant it is for all of us, this whole racism thing would be squashed. But Lord, we know that division is just beginning. We know, Lord, that this is only the beginning of birth pangs. So I pray for each member that's here, each person, those that are listening online. I pray, God, that you, you give us the ability to stand firm, knowing that nothing is going to get past that sheep gate, because you are the door. And so, Father, help us to to reconcile many of these things and thoughts and attitudes that we have within our own life. Each one of us, whatever sin that's causing division, division, disunity, whatever sin is causing this, this hatred, animosity, whatever sin is causing this bigotry, racism in our lives, Lord, help, help us to identify it and to deal with it now, right now, at this moment. Thank you, Father. Thank you for being so good. And so forgiving. And the grace that you've given us, Lord. So Father, now dismiss us as we go our separate ways. As we fellowship and walk with you. Because of the access that you've given us, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen and amen. All right, please stick around. I'll be up here for a moment if you'd like to come up and have a word of prayer.